Colossians chapter 4 will be in verses 2 through 6 this evening. And you can title this message a word that you probably haven't heard in a long time, which is Maranatha. Maranatha. It's obviously not English. Maranatha. M-A-R-A-N-A-T-H-A. Maranatha. Good. I'll explain a little bit of what that means once we begin. So let's read Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. says, Paul says to the Colossians, Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in chains, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom towards those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how to, you ought to answer each one. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we pray that you would teach us how to walk in wisdom, how to conduct ourselves in a way that glorifies you on a daily basis. And we pray, Lord, that this evening that you speak to our hearts, you help us to grow in grace and the knowledge of you. Teach us more about yourself, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So Paul, as he kind of finishes out the book, this letter to this church at Colossae, remember way back when, when we started the series, we talked about a guy named Epaphras who actually visited Paul while he was where? He was in prison. And while he was in prison, uh, Paul was writing this letter of encouragement. Though he had never met the Colossians, he had spoken about all the things that he had heard about this wonderful church. And we learned last time about how Paul was giving strict admonitions about the household. What he was saying is that Christ's lordship has to dominate and has to have authority even over the life that you have at home in your relationships. And you're taking on new roles. And as he's kind of concluding this letter, he wants to say this one admonition, and that is to continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it, with thanksgiving, meanwhile praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in chains, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Now, imagine that you are planning on moving, maybe to another country, and you're not going to see any of your friends ever again, and you're sad about it. And as you are leaving your wonderful home in New Jersey, you're like, what, well, what can I do that I will not be able to do once I move to another country. So you're thinking about what is the one thing that I definitely want to do before I leave. And so you make plans. Maybe you want to go hiking because you love hiking. And so you're like, oh, I would totally miss this one waterfall I always go to. And I'm going to go upstate and I'm going to do that. And I'm going to plan it with friends. You're trying to rally some friends together. And it seems like you're just pulling, you know, everybody's leg. Just come on, let's go. It's going to be great. But then it's going to rain that day. And all of your plans are for naught. And you're just like stressing out. You're trying to get everybody's money together. And then you have a surprise going away party. And all of your friends surprise you at your house while you're frustrated. Now, in that moment, when your friends surprise you, and tell you, hey, we're throwing you this amazing surprise party and all of your friends, all of your family's there. You're probably feeling two things. The first thing is joy. Like, wow, my friends care about me this much that they would throw me this surprise party. And secondly, a sense of kind of like, I wasted all that time planning something that would not, in the end, work out. Right? And maybe you felt like that before. Maybe something interrupted your plans and it was a blessed interruption. 
but kind of like you're still kind of upset. It's almost like when you have a snow day and, and the snow day falls on the day that you were studying for a test and you're freaking out. And you're just like, oh my gosh, will it snow? Will it not snow? And you don't know what to do. You don't know, should I study? Should I not study? The answer is you're always supposed to study, but all of us know if you have a snow day, you're not going to study. You're going to sleep in. So it kind of feels like that. It's like joy that you don't have to go to school, but also frustration because you wasted a lot of time studying when you didn't have to, right? How many of us really are living our lives in light of the fact that Jesus could return at any moment. This is what Paul is saying. When he says, continue earnestly in prayer, he's saying that you should be persevering in prayer, continuing on in prayer, but also, he says, be vigilant in it. And that word vigilant means watchful or being awake. This is what Jesus said to Peter and the disciples when they're falling asleep, when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. He said, watch and pray that you don't fall into temptation. And so the watching, what does that mean? Does he mean like you should stay awake when you're praying? Is he kind of admonishing people when you're vigilant in prayer? He's saying, don't fall asleep because many of us have the problem, right? You like set aside a time like I'm going to pray before I go to bed. I'm going to pray when I wake up. And you do and then you just like within five minutes you're just out. So is, is that what Paul's saying? He's saying be awake when you pray. I don't think so. In fact, many commentators believe what Paul is saying here is when you pray, Pray in light of the day that Jesus returns. So many of us, we're always consumed with the things of this world, right? We're always thinking of the future. That's why we stress out. We're thinking about, like, where am I going to college? Many of you seniors. And that's why a lot of people stop coming to youth group towards the spring. Happens every single year. Usually spring is the time that people drop off because you have senioritis. You're like, well, I'm kind of old for youth group. I don't know. And I got a lot of things to do. I have so many plans. But if Jesus came back right, right now, like literally just, I don't know, somehow he opened up this warehouse and he just like descended and is like, hey, I'm back. How many of us would be like, well, this is an inconvenient time. I was planning on going to Seton Hall. I was planning on going and you have like ideas of what you're going to do. And suddenly Jesus very inconveniently decided to show up and save the rest of the world and bring us to heaven, right? That's what we believe that. It's a lot of people don't believe that, okay? A lot of people don't believe that Jesus is coming back soon, a lot of people are atheists. They don't believe in anything. They just kind of feel like this world is just going to happen. And, and when we die, we just go into the earth and that's it. It's over, right? A lot of people believe that. But we actually, as believers in Jesus, believe that Jesus is coming back for us. And now if that's the case, then how many of us are actually planning on his return? Or is he really going to come like a thief in the night for us and going to surprise us? Well, I was not ready, right? That's a good test of where your heart is, is... Does the return of Jesus terrify you, scare you, or excite you? For many of us, if we're honest, it terrifies us, doesn't it? Because we think, well, I want to get married. Well, I want to, like, get a, you know, start a family, get a job, have aspirations. I want to write, you know, an album. I, you have different goals that you have, and it's like if Jesus came back, that almost, like, is a downer. It's like, I, but I had so many plans. As if heaven is worse than earth. Right? Like, we're going to, and how many of you have prayed that? Like, Lord, if you could just wait till after I'm married, then, like, that'd be awesome. Then you can come back. Right? Like, and God's going to be up there in heaven and be like, sure, I was going to come back to relieve the world of suffering today, but you know what? Alan has to get married. Like, yeah. <laughs> what do you think? I think it's a good idea. 
It's like Moses is interceding that the people of Israel aren't like obliterated. Like, God, don't destroy them in your wrath. And here we are, we're just like, don't come back yet. Just till I get married, right? So if we had an accurate view of reality, if we had an accurate view we could see from God's standpoint, how many of us really, if we knew everything about the world, really would still be like, but I, I could wait a little bit. I think, in fact, all of us, if we really knew the things that God had prepared for us in heaven, all of us, we would be excited about the second coming of Christ. But oftentimes, we don't even know what to think about it, right? We don't know what's going to happen in heaven. It's scary to us thinking about eternity, thinking about what happens after we die. All the things scare us. But here's the thing. The more that we spend our time in prayer, the more that we get an accurate view of reality. I heard a, a college pastor about a month ago kind of talk about this, this verse. And he was saying, you know, the world, it kind of says this to you, that in order to be informed about what's happening in the world, you have to watch the news. Or you have to, you know, listen to the radio, watch the latest shows, be up on technology, be on Twitter, Facebook, social media. And by being on those things, you have an accurate view on what is happening in the world. But what we know is, all of those things have an agenda, and that is to distract you from what is really important in life. It's all advertisements, right? At one point in time, all of us, I mean, you might be a little too young for this at this point, but all of us, we had this thing called TiVo, and you could like skip commercials, right? It was like, I remember when this was theorized when I was in fifth grade, I was like, you could skip commercials? That sounds crazy, right? That, that just blew my mind. And now, what do we do? We're on social media watching all of our friends' commercials. That's how we spend all of our time. We're watching advertisements where people are saying, look at me, I'm amazing, and you should think I'm amazing. And that's what consumes all of our thought life. Everyone has an agenda. And even if we're honest, sometimes we post things with an agenda. We post things not because it's like, oh, I'm in this, I just happen to be in this amazing place. We want people to think that we're amazing, right? All of us do it. But here's the thing. The world has an agenda. When you post things, when the, when the world says you should watch the news organization to be informed about the world, it really has an agenda so that you're distracted from what's really important. But in contrast, what the Bible teaches here is that the way to really be informed about the world is spend time in prayer, which seems counterintuitive, right? Like how does sitting in silence before God tell you about what's really happening in the world? But if God is all-knowing, then you sitting before him and you listening to his voice is, is what is, what is going to give you an accurate view of reality. So to continue steadfastly in prayer, earnestly in prayer, which means that we are giving effort to our prayers, not being discouraged, not losing heart, which many of us do, right? If we're honest, how many of us wish we had a better prayer life? What I've noticed about me, especially recently, is the busier I get, like, there's a couple of points in my life where I would say, like, my prayer life had been, like, the best it has ever been. And I had, like, a, a, a pretty significant amount of time for me, subjectively, a big amount of time that I was subjecting to prayer and saying, Lord, I want to be used by you and just taking the time to pray over you guys and stuff. And that was a sweet time. And the busier I get and the less time that I give to that, the more stressed out I feel because I completely feel like I'm just trying to catch up on, on life. And I feel like I have no idea what's happening. I just feel disoriented. I feel like I'm always trying to catch my breath. 
But it seems like most of us, if we're honest, we don't want to take the time to pray because we feel like, well, I don't, I don't have time. Like, and since I'm so busy, if I take time to pray, it just seems like, you know, I'm going to lose, um, I'm going to lose the time to more important things, right? We, don't, we wouldn't say they're important, but that's how we act oftentimes. I think it was Martin Luther who said, I'm going to be so busy today that I'm going to take at least three hours to pray. And most of us don't think like that. But what I've noticed is, so this is me, I'm just practically speaking. If I take time to pray, not only just for like my needs, right? Like when I'm stressed out, the only prayers I pray is, Lord, help me, I'm stressed out. But when I get to get off myself, stop thinking about myself, and I pray for you guys, and I'm going through my list of just like, I want to pray for Josh, I want to pray for Aiden, I want to pray for, and I'm like thinking of specific names, I'm praying for you guys. As I'm doing that, even if I'm just mentioning a name, sometimes I know there's something that you're going through, and I'm like, okay, that person's in the hospital, that person's sick, or this person's going through this. And as I'm praying for that, I'm like, I'm accomplishing a lot. I'm probably doing more in praying than I could be in just doing my everyday activities. But we don't think like that because we haven't sat down and we haven't seen the results of our prayer life. So what if we actually took time to do that? And we said, I want to dedicate a chunk of my day it could be 10 minutes. A chunk of my day, this is reserved for you, Lord, to speak to me before I do anything else. I want to wake up. I want to hear from you. I want you to inform me about the world. I want you to tell me what's most important so I can set my day putting you in priority. And by doing that, we have an accurate view of the world. So this word, um, Maranatha, that's the title of our message today. Maranatha just means come, Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus, come. And what happened is the early church began to use this word, Maranatha, as a greeting to each other instead of shalom, which means peace in Hebrew. They used to say this as they were going through times of persecution. Because back in those days, remember the early church? Rome, especially under Nero, he would light Christians on fire. He would throw them into um, the Colosseum so that they would have to fight each other and, and all kinds of terrible things being eaten by animals. Christians were persecuted in those days and we're living in pretty good times, right? We don't, we're not persecuted. We get called names and stuff, but most of us aren't persecuted. But that early church was, and so they would often replace shalom, peace, with Maranatha, oh Lord Jesus, come. The reason why they did that is because they, they believed Jesus when he said, in this world, you will have tribulations, but be of good cheer for I have overcome the world. They knew that they would never be able to access true peace that Jesus promises until they get to heaven, at least for that persecuted church. Now, we're not going through that persecution, so we often don't say, oh, Lord Jesus, come, because we think we have it pretty good. And we look around, and we get comfortable, and when we get comfortable, we miss out on what God is really trying to do and speak and say. So Paul, remember, is in prison. He's being persecuted, he, and he's writing this letter, and it would seem that he's accomplishing more in prison sometimes than he did when he was out of prison. He wrote entire books of the Bible while he was in prison. He was praying for people while he was, while he was in prison. And how many of us, we would only pray if we have nothing else to do, right? When we're bored, we're going on a road trip with our parents, and we're like, there's literally nothing else to do, so I'll pray. Or can we make this an active part of our everyday activity. So earnest in prayer, being vigilant, and he says with thanksgiving. So not just bringing our requests before the Lord and just saying, oh, I don't know what's going to happen. Oh, just help me. 
But Lord, thank you in advance, because I know you're in control. I know it's going to be amazing. I know next weekend is going to be fantastic. Our minds are going to be blown. And I'm going to thank you in advance, because I know it. Like, this is, your, this is your responsibility. This is my responsibility. I'm not putting on this conference. You are. And the less that we give ourselves the credit, right, we put the responsibility on us, responsibility on him, we're in good shape. So what are we supposed to pray for? Well, it says what? It says in uh, verse 3, it says, Meanwhile, praying for us that God would open to us a door so that I could leave prison. That's actually not what he says. You would think if there's anything that he wants prayer for, what would it be? If you were in prison and you didn't deserve, deserve to be there and you got to write a letter to people, what would you want them to pray for? Obviously, help me get out of prison. But he says, open a door to us for the word to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in chains that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Wow. That's awesome. And there's a couple of things here that I think are really, really important. The first thing is obviously that he prays for an open door and opportunity. You see, because Paul said this elsewhere, but he says, I have learned the secret of being content. That verse that everyone takes out of context, I, context, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He was saying that about being in prison. He was saying like, I could be in a palace or I could be in prison. I don't really care. If God has me here, I know I'm called to be here, and I'm going to be faithful, and I'm going to do what God has called me to do in my sphere of influence. I'm going to maximize my potential by being obedient to what God has called me to do, and being obedient, God will be able to be glorified. If you've been doing the Bible challenge, you recently read this passage, right, where Saul took it upon himself to, he was waiting for, for Samuel, the priest, to come and offer a sacrifice, and he didn't. He's like, well, before we get into battle, we need the priest to offer a sacrifice to the Lord. And he's not showing up, so, well, I've waited long enough, so I'm going to take marriage in my own hands. And he does. He offers a sacrifice. And what does Samuel say? He said, you have sinned against the Lord. To obey is better than sacrifice. It's better to say, Lord, I want to do what you've called me to do. And not just assume that we just do a whole bunch of shows and a bunch of works and, and a bunch of things to, like, amaze God and God be like, whoa, that's amazing. I can't believe you read the Bible for two hours today. Awesome. Even better than that. Even better than taking three hours of your day to pray like Martin Luther. Even better than reading the Bible for two hours is to, to obey what God has already told you. Because how many times, if we're honest, there are things God has told us not to do. Don't go on the website. Stop texting that boy or that girl. You need to leave those friends. You need to start investing in your brothers and sisters around you. You need to forgive that person. How many times have we heard the Holy Spirit? And because we've ignored him, then all the things that we're doing, like we're sitting before the Lord for two hours and we're not getting anything because we're not acting on what he's already told us. We need to do the first works. We need to do what God has called us to do first before he gives us other commands, right? So that being the case, we need to know like, what God, what are you trying to speak to me? What is it that you're sharing with me? Because perhaps when we are always looking for what is outside of our sphere, we miss out on what God's trying to do in the sphere. So Paul spoke this out of contentment, saying, I don't care where God's put me. I'm just going to be obedient. I'm going to be faithful. And the second thing I see here is, you know, if there's anyone I would think doesn't need prayer, it'd be Paul, right? The apostle. He's writing the Bible. And he says, pray for me 
that God would give me an opportunity and that the message would be clear and effective. So how many of us like pray for Pastor Lloyd when he's preaching? How many of us at Harvest would pray for Greg Laurie when he's speaking? It's like, oh, he's got this. Yeah, he's been doing this for like 30 years. He's fine. How much more with Paul the Apostle? Like if Paul was here preaching, I'm like, guest speaker today, Paul the Apostle, let's welcome to the stage. And he's, he got up there and all of us are surprised because he's ugly and he's really like, the Bible says he's ugly and that he wasn't a good communicator. And we're just like, ooh, okay, great. This is the Paul we've been waiting for. This is the Paul we've been waiting for. Okay, so he's up here. I guess if he's that ugly and he's a bad communicator, we'd be praying for him. But most of us feel like, we wouldn't have to pray for the man who wrote the Bible, right? But this is what Paul says. And if he needed prayer, how much more do we need prayer? How much more does Daniel Fusco need prayer next Friday when he preaches the gospel message to people that don't know Jesus? And this is why it's so important. Because we believe that prayer actually changes circumstances. And God uses us as his people. It's a participation. So besides contentment, here's the other thing. All of us need to participate in the work that God is doing. All of us. You may not be up here on the stage right now, but that doesn't mean that you're exempt from the work that God is doing tonight. Like maybe you haven't prayed for me when I'm teaching. Maybe you should. Like I could use it, totally use it. Maybe you haven't thought about praying when we're there next Friday, but like one thing I learned at a very young age is, and listen, I'm not judging any of you that have been, you know, talking during altar calls on Sundays. But this is what I'll say. Ever since I was in high school, even though I was one of those kids that would write on a girl's, like, arm and stuff when I was 14, and Joey Rozak had to rebuke me, and I was crushed because he was like, did I ever tell you this? Joey Rozak had to, like, rebuke me, but, like, the way he rebuked me, my youth pastor, is just like, Alan, I just, I can't understand. I heard, it's probably not true, but I heard that you wrote on a girl's arm during the teaching of the word of God? And I was like, ah. I'm telling you, no joke. I didn't sit next to a girl for an entire year on a Sunday. It's true. I felt so guilty. And I, like, I don't have that kind of like charisma or power to do that. So anyway, what I'm saying is that was a long way of saying, but one thing I've always kept close to my heart is the altar call um, session when Pastor Lloyd would pray on a Sunday. Because I would always think like, I hope that's one of my relatives walking forward. I hope that, I was just thinking like, if there's a person that I've been praying for for years and I, they finally got to church, I finally convinced them. And maybe it wasn't the best message. Maybe it wasn't an applicable message, but they're there and I'm like, oh Lord, would you speak to their heart regardless of the circumstances? Could you just speak, speak to them? Wouldn't I want every single person in the congregation praying for my friend? And so for us to joke and laugh and to be talking during that time, I think is irreverent to God. And forgetting, most importantly, forgetting that God asks, asks us to participate in people coming to know him. So just, you know, think about that next time you're sitting next to someone on a Sunday, they're talking. Just think about that. That's all I ask. Because maybe one of these days I can convince my brother and sister to show up to church. And I will want you to pray. That's all I'm saying. So participation. All of us are to participate in what God is doing. It's not just on the teacher, but it's all, all of us as a family of God. You know, um, I think 
one of the problems today of church in general, not just our church, churches in general, is that when we make salvation, I'll take that back. When we make faith in God all about us personally, when we make it all about us and the emphasis is on us and God and not as the community, the problem we run into is loneliness. If we all make it about like, you need to get plugged in, you need accountability, you need to grow in your walk, you need to read your Bible, you need to pray, all of those things are true. But we can't exclude the fact that all of us are a community doing this together. Because when we miss that, that's when we have loneliness. That's when you and I feel like, I'm the only one reading my Bible. I'm the only one praying. I'm so discouraged because I haven't had anyone reach out to me, and I don't feel like I have anyone like-minded in Christ. Paul felt like that many times. And so all of us need to be thinking as a community, how can I show that love and share that love with one another so that when you're reading the Bible, it's not just for you, but maybe you're like, hey, this verse kind of spoke to me, but maybe I can share with somebody else. Hey, so I read this verse today and it was pretty cool. What do you think? And someone's mind is blown because that's the exact verse that they needed. Don't miss out and don't exclude yourself from those opportunities. So he also says, a clear message that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. So in other words, what he's saying is, this message to make actual, visible, and realized. It's almost as if when you have like an idea of a painting, like an artist, like has an idea of a, a painting, but then he actually brings it to life and he creates a sketch and then takes some colors and just adds the elements. And this is what we are to do with the message. Not just have the idea, but pray that this would be a concept that everyone can objectively see this is beautiful and this is what the gospel does to each and every person's life. So then he says... In verse 5, walk in wisdom towards those who are outside, redeeming the time. In other words, what he's saying here about redeeming the time is to buy up stock, almost like I remember being little and being like six years old and seeing like the Batman VHS tapes, and it was like a new release, and there's only like two left in stock. And I was so terrified that if we didn't buy it today, we're never going to be able to find it. You ever feel like that when you're little? Like, if you did not get that toy now, you'll never be able to get it ever again. I guess today we have eBay and online stores and stuff. Back then, I didn't really have that. So I'd be freaking out, Dad, we have to buy it right now. And then he'd be like, oh, it'll be fine. I'll be there next week. So this idea of redeeming the time, that word is literally buying up stock. Like, you're that guy who buys all of the Batman VHS tapes so no one else can buy them. You're that cruel person. And that's what we're to do, not cruelly, but that's what we're supposed to do with our time. To really take advantage of every single moment so that not one moment is left to Satan to use. To completely buy up all the stock of all of our time so that no one else gets to dictate what I do with my day. Because I've, I've, I've subjected it to the Lord and his authority saying, Lord, I want every single moment that I... I experience today to be under your lordship. And that means that we're walking in wisdom and that's especially towards people that are outside the church, people that don't know Jesus. So if you're a person who walked in today and you're just like, I was checking this out, I don't know Jesus, this is a message that isn't just for the church, this could be for you too because maybe you need to enter into a relationship with Jesus. And we can explain a little bit of what that means afterwards. But um, I want to share with you a testimony that I had. I shared um, an evangelism message, which is sharing the good news of Jesus. I shared that on a Wednesday night over the summer, I think. And it was a two-part series. I don't know if anyone was there. Was anyone there? Anybody? Okay, good. There's, I think there's only three people there. So 
at all. <laughs> I know it was awkward. It's the main stage, three people there in the front row. I'm like, all right, all of you here, the crowds. It's just like, no. But um, here's what happened. The first message was like more of a, a heart behind evangelism. Second message is about practical things. Well, the first message I gave was about like the necess- uh, necessity to let the Spirit lead you to those situations uh, where people need Jesus and kind of just obeying him when he leads you. Well, what happened is then after that message, I taught that message, a person that, person that weekend who watched online shared a testimony with me. She actually got an opportunity to evangelize because she lived in New York and uh, she needed to go to the dentist that weekend. And the only day the dentist could see her was on a Sunday. It was kind of strange. So she had to miss church for a Sunday and, and took a taxi. And she's just kind of like in the, in the car, just like wondering about why they were only open on Sunday and why she could only get seen on Sunday. So um, this is what she says. I'll read it for you. It says, when I got into the cab, the cab driver expressed his shock that the dentist's office would be open on a Sunday. We talked and he began to share about a painful situation in his life. He started to cry, not sob, but I could see the tears running down his face. I shared with him that God loved him and that he cared. He told me he prayed and that God had answered one of his prayers. For some reason, and I don't usually do this, but I pressed on and asked him if he knew Jesus. When he didn't understand, I asked if he had ever said that he knew Jesus died for the forgiveness of his sins. When he said no, I told him that he could say it now even though he was driving. And then I led him in the sinner's prayer. When we arrived at my destination, he thanked me and said, you didn't go to church today, but God put you in my cab for me. Isn't that crazy? I didn't make that up. Imagine I said like, yeah, I just made that up. No, that's a true story. So I was like, what the heck? That actually worked. So then, like, I shared that the next week because I had part two of the evangelism series the next Wednesday. And um, so it's pretty cool, right? And this is a person who admittedly never really evangelizes, but just said, here I am in taxi, and I guess the driver's asking me questions. Here's an open door. I guess I'm going to say something. You never know who might come to church if you'd only invite them. You never know who might hear the gospel if you'd only just said it. But most of us just have so many fears that we're just so worried about what people think about us. And that's why we are to walk in wisdom towards those that are unbelievers. Let me give you some statistics from Dr. Tom Rayner of Lifeway Resources. Most people come to church because of a personal invitation, not because of Facebook, not because of ads or billboards, but personal invitations. Seven out of 10 unchurched people have never been invited to church in their whole lives. Seven out of 10. 82% of the unchurched are at least somewhat likely to attend church if invited. 82%. So that's literally like the majority of people that you invite are at least somewhat likely to attend if they are invited. So I may have said this before, but I'm going to say it again. If you had the guarantee, everyone look up here. If you had the guarantee that the next five people that you speak to would accept the gospel, you could literally just be walking down the street and just say, hey, Jesus is Lord. I'm like, yeah, awesome. And they like accept Jesus right there, there and then. If the next five people you spoke to were guaranteed to accept Jesus, would you do it? All of us would say yes, right? But then what does that prove? That proves that we only act when we expect results. And if we think we're going to be successful. But the fact of the matter is, We shouldn't act thinking we're going to see certain results, but act out of obedience because God knows the results. 
And he's called us to walk by faith, not by sight. Right? We're to be living out the gospel on a daily basis and walk in wisdom and walk in obedience so that God can use us at every venture. So how many of us are really redeeming the time? We're taking time uh, every single day to be praying. We're taking time to evangelize, to share Jesus with people. Or how many of us are getting distracted? We're not living in light of eternity, in light of Jesus' second coming. We're making our plans. And this is where the Bible would say to us that we are to change the way that we think about our everyday activities. And to be thinking in every activity that we do that we can be walking in wisdom towards those people that are outside. Thinking, does this give glory to God or is this actually a negative testimony for people that don't know Jesus? I love this Blaise Pascal quote, and I've said this before, but I'll say it again in case you haven't heard it. We should make people wish the gospel were true and then show them that it is. I love that. Wouldn't it be great if the way that you lived your life and, and you started talking about Jesus, people are like, man, that'd be great if that was true. Like, it is. Let me explain to you how it's true, right? Wouldn't that be great? And that's what we get to do when we share Jesus with other people by using our lives as an example. So he says, continuing on, verse six, and we'll kind of close with this. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer, answer each one. So he says two things. When you speak to other people that aren't believers, let your speech be with grace, not law. I knew a guy who, the way that he evangelized is he, he felt like he had to tell everybody what they're doing wrong. And like even down to the fact like people smoking cigarettes on the street, he'd evangelize to them saying like, you know, like smoking a cigarette is a sin. Like I wouldn't even say that, but he like go up to the people he doesn't even know and say smoking cigarettes is a sin. Do you drink? Drink is a sin too. He's like, what the heck? Like I had a conversation with him and he told me that wearing jewelry or of any kind is a sin. And the fact that I had an earring was a sin. Like I was like, what the heck? It's like, I've never had this conversation before. And it's really, what's really funny about it is I was just teaching the passage at the time in First Peter about like, um, let your adornment not be merely outward with jewelry and earrings and all these things, but like uh, adorn yourself with like the inner beauty that comes from Christ and stuff like that. And I, I was reading the commentary about like how some people believe that any type of jewelry is a sin. And that's obviously not what he's talking about there. And I just kind of skimmed through it. I was like, I'll never come across a person like that. And I did. Like this person actually believed this. And I just like blew my mind. I was like, you're joking. You actually believe that this is a sin that I have an earring. It's just like crazy to me. Like I just can't even imagine like me going home and actually struggling over the fact of whether or not this earring is a sin. Like, oh, maybe I should take it out and just like stressing out like, oh, do you not love me anymore because I have this earring? Just, uh, it's just crazy. Anyway, so grace. The way that we speak to people should not be out of legalism. And so many of us, that's what we defer to. Well, I want to invite that person to church, but they like, they live a different lifestyle than what we do. Or I want to invite them, but like, what's going to happen? Like, I can't imagine that person being a Christian. I don't know, but let Jesus deal with it. That's his problem. Our job is to just give them grace, even in the way that we speak. Maybe a person has backslidden, and you feel like, well, it's my job. I got to tell them that they are wrong. Listen, many people, especially if they're backsliding Christians, know that they're wrong. And our job is to welcome them back, show them love, say, listen, even though you've gone this road, you're welcome anytime. 
I'll invite you over to my house. You can hang out with any of my friends and not feel the need to address every point of sin in their life. Because the fact of the matter is, we all have junk that needs dealing with. But by the grace of God, we're here. So grace, and the second thing is to be seasoned with salt. In other words, to be using wit, cleverness, and the way that we speak should be attractive to other people. We're not just rehashing old arguments from 200 years ago, and we're saying, hey, man, let go and let God. And people are like, that sounds so clever. I want to go to your church. Right? Actually think about what you're going to say before you say it. And actually plan on, like, I'm going to study apologetics, and I'm going to learn how to answer people. And so imagine you want to be a missionary to China, and you're planning on going. And as you're going to China, you're like, you know what? I'm not going to go with a translator. I'm going to just go and preach the gospel in English. Because the word does not return void. So I'm just going to speak it, and people are going to accept Jesus regardless of whether or not I have a translator. That's ridiculous, right? So if we would need a translator to speak to foreign people that don't speak English, how much more do we need to speak in ways that people can understand, not Christianese, with people that do speak English? I've been saved by the blood of the lamb, sister. Like, what? (laughs) I've thought about for years now, literally years, of, because the fact of the matter is, love your parents, they trust the ministry a lot, maybe too much sometimes, because I'm always like, no one really asked me what we do here on a Friday night. What if we just kind of made a spoof video to send to all the parents of the youth ministry and say, like, do you know what happens on a Friday night? And just, like, have people go through in the dark door and I, I'm wearing a hood and we have, like, a lamb that we're sacrificing. <laughs> like, okay, kids. That'd be great. But I don't think that's a good idea. Sounds like a great idea, but. So we're not supposed to do that. Instead, the way that we present the gospel, and listen, people believe that's, that's what we do when we talk about this stuff sometimes. And that's why we need to make it understandable to people and, and show them that Jesus is real and how what we have is what everybody needs. And there are plenty of arguments um, philosophically. There are plenty of arguments the Bible itself uses to the woman at the well. Listen, if you drink of the water I give you, you'll, you'll never thirst ever again. And she wanted that. She knew exactly what that meant. And we got to speak the language of the culture. And then lastly, the very last lastly, that you may know how to answer each one, which means that we treat each individual as an individual, not as a means to an end, but an ends in themselves. I am here for you. I'm here to answer any question that you have. I'm not here just to like tally up the amount of people I talked to about Jesus this week. I'm here to be your friend, potentially for life, if you're willing to be my friend. Like, I'm here for you, and I want to show you the love of Jesus. Now, I went evangelizing last Saturday, and I had a great conversation with a guy who was a Muslim, who was a teenager, invited him to vertical identity. And once again, so many people have no idea what is what we believe. And I was like, hey, so what is it that you believe? And I said, if you don't mind me asking, like, how do you, how do you believe that you go to heaven? And he said, well, you know, it's kind of like, we're going to be judged, and your good, your good deeds have to outweigh your bad deeds. So I don't really know if I'm going to heaven. And then I explained, well, can I share with you what I believe? Do you know what it is that Christians believe? He's like, no, I haven't really heard it. I haven't looked into it too much. And I explained to him how Jesus gives us the guarantee that we're going to heaven. Like, nobody else has that. But we actually believe 
People think we're crazy for believing it, but we believe that there's a hope that goes beyond the grave. And Jesus gives us that guarantee because he's given us as a down payment the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us. Everyone's walking out, everyone else is walking in fear, and we don't have to. As I'm sharing that with him, I was like, hey, like I have a gospel of John, would you read it? He's, actually, I said, um, if I gave you a gospel of John, which just tells, it, the reason why it's written is to prove that Jesus is real, and it's written 2,000 years ago. If I gave that to you, would you read it? He said, yeah, do you have one on you? I'm like, yeah, I do, and I gave it to him. And uh, the second conversation I had went a little bit differently. It's an old man who I went to talk to. I think he was, um, well, anyway, I'll let you decide where he was mentally. But in talking to him, I, I was just asking if he went, to, oh, by the way, since it's around Easter time, easy way to evangelize. Just say, hey, I'm taking a survey for my church. I'm asking people what people believe about Easter. Because it's Easter, it's easy. So I was asking this guy, and I asked him first, do you go to church? And he says, yep. I said, oh, really? What church do you go to? He's like, I go to all churches. <laughs> I was like, simultaneously? <laughs> He's like, yep. And I was like, that's impossible. That's actually impossible. Like, nope, go to all churches. And so, like, I had this long conversation where I realized that he was not listening to anything I would say because he would say one thing and I would completely refute it. And each thing I would say, I'm like, do you realize what you just said? And what I just said are in opposition with one another. And he's like, I don't see that. I don't see that. I think we're both on the same page, brother. And I'm like, no, we're not. So, so there are some people, obviously the Bible says, reject the divisive man after the first or second admonition. Don't cast your pearls before swine, not to say he's a swine. But the illustration is, if people aren't going to appreciate the gospel, then at some point you got to say, I'm not going to waste my time speaking to this person who doesn't want to hear or receive it. But most people, you'd be surprised how willing they are to listen to what it is that we have to share. But the question is, are we willing to share it? So next week, next weekend, it's Vertical Identity Conference. I've been messaging people saying, like, can you take off work? Would you be willing to come? Once again, I'm always telling them, like, listen, it would mean a lot to me because it would. It would mean a lot to me if you would come out and just support and see what it is that, that I believe. Like this is, I told a kid the other day, like a guy who's in his 20s, I said, you know, you've probably always wondered what it is that I do with my life. Like this is what I do. And you'll be able to see firsthand, like this is what is the, my passion and, and my drive. So, oh, okay, well, yeah, maybe I'll come. So who knows? But we'll never know if we never try. I'll conclude with this verse, Romans chapter 10, verse 14 through 17. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Lord, we pray that you would send us into your harvest. We pray that you would use us, Lord. We do want to lift up Vertical Identity Conference next week. Each and every person that floods that building would hear your gospel, that you give Pastor Daniel Fusco a clear message, a message that speaks to hearts, Lord, and is able to topple down the idols of our culture. And we pray, Lord, that you would use us this week to speak to the right people that you want us to speak to, that you'd soften hearts, Lord, that they'd be willing to. And Lord, it looks like it's gonna rain Friday. If people had plans outside, they'd be canceled. Looks like it's gonna rain Saturday morning, that games would be canceled. We just pray, Lord, that no one would have an excuse as to why they couldn't come this weekend. Lord, we're believing big things because we're, you're a big God. And regardless of what it looks like, Lord, even if it's, it's only like for whatever reason, there's a you know, hundred of us 
youth group people there and everybody else just bails. We know that you're faithful and you're gonna be faithful. So we thank you in advance. Pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen.